All right. Well, you, uh, you guys had a, had a ton of great questions here. So we've got this big, big stack of questions, and um, we're not going to get to each one of them individually, just to, to warn you, but there are some categories that we're going to try to go through, and we'll probably hit on a few specifics as well. Um, but again, I, th- I think there's some, some very thoughtful questions here. Um, I think there's some questions that reveal uh, just some life, you know, things that you're, you're going through and some, some things that are, are hitting you in a, a very real way. So um, I'm going to, we, we might ask a few specific ones of specific people, but we're also going to just ask broadly and let each of you give some, give some thoughts. And I'd like to start with just this, this category here, and I think we'll, we'll have really each one of you share if you, if you have some thoughts, because I think this was something that a lot of you were, were asking. And really, after what we heard from these, these four guys, there's a lot of questions about just, just balances between grace and truth and, and um, sinning as a Christian, like how should we re- respond to our sin and and those types of things. So I'm going to read a few of these just to give us the flavor of, of what we're shooting for here. And then I want to get each one of your thoughts on this category. So, for example, when you sin and feel guilty, what's the best mindset to move forward with? Or is it ever okay to feel guilty? If so, when is it wrong and when is it not? How do you balance God's unconditional love with God's wrath? How do you find the balance between grace and truth? And then there's, there's even some specific ones like, um, I've been thinking a lot about my convictions and sins. I listen to explicit music a lot and, and swear more than I ought to. I know strong Christians who I respect who are kind of in the same boat, so I never thought it, of it as a bad thing, but now I'm not so sure. So again, there's a little struggle with sin, and how do I wrestle with this? And is it a sin to laugh at dark humor? There's uh, several questions along those lines. So... What I want to, to ask these guys is, is basically, when we as Christians, when we sin, how should we think about that? How should we respond? Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, this is a great question. And I think it's really a wrestle that all of us have to face in our lives. I would imagine all of us approach it slightly differently. But a couple things that have been important to me. One is in thinking of guilt is kind of how do you define guilt? What do you mean by guilt? I think there's different types of guilt. And one type of guilt is just saying, hey, what I did was wrong. And another type of guilt is saying, I'm screwed up. I'm a bad person. And I would even... I've appreciated breaking those into a, a distinction. The guilt that says what I did is wrong, I would call guilt. And that's a really healthy thing. And that's a really wonderful thing to have in your life. The guilt that says who I am is wrong, or to say I am no longer loved, or my identity has changed, or the way my value to God has changed... The, the, is saying I, rather than what I did was wrong, I am wrong, I would call that shame rather than guilt. And again, it's just words, I'm just trying to, but I think shame is very unhealthy, it has been very unhealthy in my life. So if you're at a place where you're like, oh, I'm screwed up, 
I am wrong, I think that is the evil one's intent to try to separate you from God. And instead, if you look at that meter of God's love, it's not on moderate, it's not even on low, it's uh, (laughs) maximum love. God's love is still at maximum love for you when you did something wrong. And so guilt is a wonderful thing. Guilt, but shame is not. So, so that guilt that says what I did is wrong is a great thing. God gives you that. And it doesn't mean that God's love for you has changed. And I think that's where I would get so caught up in it. Like, oh, now what do I need to do? And, and, and the evil one wants you to say, okay, now you can't come close to God. You're no longer acceptable to God. You should go hide. You should go whatever, do your thing. And, and then you can come close to God. And you can always come close to God, even if you just sinned, even in that sense of guilt. And I think it's really, really useful to, to just acknowledge. I think the confession of sin has been something that has really helped my life, to confess my sin to other people and to confess my sin to God. And to me, it just says, what I did was wrong. And I usually actually say, what I did brought death, not life. And just acknowledge that. What I did brought death, or what I did was wrong. And thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you love me so deeply. And I want to walk on a different path. By your Holy Spirit, would you empower me to walk on a different path? And if I need to make it right with somebody, let's make it right to the best of my ability. And so, but that that voice that says, I'm jacked up, I'm, yeah, that's... We don't need that. And so, I don't know if, to me, that's been really helpful to kind of separate what, like, what is, what is that guilt? What is it, what's the direction of that? And so, I think guilt can be useful. I think shame cannot be. And again, I'm just, those are words, but just that, that. Yeah, I think it's good. I I like, I like that idea, like, language. Um, I think the scripture tells us that it's godly sorrow leads to repentance, right? So, that's the kind of idea of the sense inside what you're talking, what you're describing as guilt versus shame. Like shame would be non-godly sorrow. You're like, I'm bad, I'm terrible, and that's pushing you away from God, whereas godly sorrow would be, oh, I've done wrong. Christ has died for me. He's forgiven me. I accept that forgiveness. How do I repent, change my way, and move toward him? I think that's, I think they like that. That's really good. Yeah, I was just thinking about, um, I think oftentimes when we sin, the, the place that our mind and our heart goes is just to ourselves. And, oh, look at all the things I did. And I think the devil wants to keep us there. I think he wants us to only think about ourselves and what we've done. And he also wants to focus it on ourselves so that we try to make our own way out of it. Um, I know that personally when I am aware of my sin, something that is helpful for me to do is to immediately run to Jesus. (laughs) Even if I feel like he won't accept me because I did something so horrible. Um, And so I was just thinking of Psalm 25, uh, starting in verse 6. I've I've prayed this before. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth 
or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. So when I sin, the devil tries to convince me and my flesh tries to persuade me that God is not good, he doesn't love me, that he couldn't possibly have died for that. Oh, it's such a lie. And so it's just really important when you're thinking of dealing with sin on a personal level, when you recognize there's sin in your life, there's only one person who can help you with that, and that's the Lord Jesus. And so you run to him. And how do you run to him? You go to his voice. Um, There's another question. I don't know if it was in this set of questions, but when it was talking about, um, you know, listening to explicit music or listening to to certain voices or, you know, cursing and those types of things. Um, you know, how, how, is that wrong or what do I do with that? I think, just, I think just ask yourself the question, does this sound like the voice of God to me? I think there was another question that was like, how do I tell the difference between Satan's voice and God's voice? The only way is to familiarize yourself with God's voice. So when you have sinned against a holy God and all you're hearing is that you're totally guilty and you should feel total shame and you're a total disaster, I got to tell you, that's not the voice of God. God. God would say that sin is deserving of, I mean, that's, yeah, you're guilty of committing that sin. He wouldn't like say, yeah, you did nothing wrong. But the immediate follow-up to that is, hey, remember my son. Remember how much I love you. Remember how much I've done for you. Like even all the stuff Steve talked about today with sin, those analogies, I, mean, I was in tears with the, with the 85 million people or whatever it was. I mean, it just broke my heart thinking about that. And you think, okay, well, what's the answer to that? Well, God gave it to us. And it was in a person who loves us. And so I would just encourage you, whether it's, you know, looking at pornography or whether it's lying to your parents or whether it's stealing something or whatever the sin could be, whether it's cursing, whatever, whatever it may be, you know, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Would Jesus say these things? Just ask yourself those questions like, is the stuff that I'm doing, is this more like God or is this more like the flesh or more like the devil? And if it's more like the flesh and the devil the answer is the same as if it was any sin or anything. It's go to Jesus and hear his voice. And I promise you, he's going to convict you and tell you, yeah, those things are wrong. But he's also going to tell you, but I have an answer for you. I have a way out. And that is, that's why we call it good news, right? That's why it's the gospel. So that's, read Psalm 25. I'll just say that. That's good. Uh, yeah, some things are hard. I mean, the, the Christian life's a journey, and there's lots of growth that we have in terms of understanding ourselves, understanding what God's done for us, understanding Him, and just there's not a black and white answer to a lot of these questions. I think there's a real tension in the Christian life of feeling okay, feeling accepted and loved by God, but also knowing that God's calling me to something different and something higher. And uh, I think for a lot of people, that's a tension that is really hard to deal with, 
they're just kind of always left in this spot of feeling like they don't measure up and feeling guilty and kind of like spiritual losers or something. And I think what's been helpful for me in that is just thinking through our relationship with God as God being our Father. And there are obviously a ton of verses on this. This is one of my favorite verses on the love of God. First uh, John 3, 1 says, Consider the kind of extravagant love the Father's lavished on us. He calls us children of God. It's true. We are his beloved children. And, and just to recognize that, that, like, we're not just interacting with him as a, a, a convict or something before a judge, but we're his children. And so, you know, when I can go to my Heavenly Father and be like, hey, Dad, I messed up, uh, I really expect a lot of grace and forgiveness and understanding, you know. So when you, when you scratch the car or you get a speeding ticket or, you know, Dad's not like, oh, I didn't think you would ever do that. It's like, yeah, I knew that was coming, you know. <laughs> it's just, it's part of life, part of learning how to drive, part of your relationship with your dad. And, and so spiritually with God, you know, when we're struggling and failing and making poor choices, a lot of that's just a normal part of our humanness and the Father is very gracious toward us in that. Now, I think if we're, you know, driving the car and we go screeching out away from the house, you know, we take off and then we come back and you roll down the windows and smoke billows out and it all smells like weed and we're, you know, you have the beer can. That you, you know, and it's like, okay, well, if that's how you're driving the car, Dad's probably not going to like that very well. Like... <laughs> And, and so, you know, I think there's, to me, there's a bit of a difference of, you know, hey, in faith, I'm struggling, I'm fighting the fight, I'm, I'm trying to follow God, but I, I still wrestle with sin. I still wrestle with my flesh. I still wrestle with humanness. I think there's a ton of grace in that. I think when we're just defiant and we're like, well, I know God wants me to do this, but forget him, I'm just going to do whatever I want, then I, I think that's where we can expect God to step in and discipline us and correct us. And so for me, just that view of God as my father is a view that really helps me keep a perspective of, hey, hey God's for me. God's for me. He really loves me. So. That's great. Good, good answers. Um, I'm going to move on to a little bit of a different category, although a lot of overlap here. I think these, these are questions related to basically just, just relationship with God. And so Paul kicked us off last night. Um, with uh, uh, just a focus on, on actually knowing God, not just knowing about him. And so these are knowing God type questions. And so I'll read a few of them. If you feel far from God and you don't know why, what do you do? As, again, several of these are wrestling, I think, with just a, a sense of, of maybe dry faith or distance from God. Um, how can I know Jesus more intimately? Um, I know God is with me, but I feel a heavy burden when I read his word. I, I love God so, so much. How do I know that God loves me? I always forget to pray after I read my Bible. How can I get in the habit? Whenever I do, do pray, I feel like I need help. Sadly, it doesn't feel right. I love God with all my heart. Am I doing something wrong? So again, I, I, I think there's just, just many of you, I'm sure, like many of us, are, are wrestling with with knowing God and, and getting close to him and questioning things when our relationship feels off or he feels distant. And so the question, again, just for all of you, um, are, would you uh, speak into that at all in your own relationship with God as you try to um, maybe uh, 
wrestle through dryness or distance? Is there something that, that, that helps you experience more of that nearness to God? Yeah, I can start. Um, yeah, thank you. I guess one of the questions was uh, kind of how do I know God loves me? And for sure, there are times in life when you'll feel like um, your life's falling apart or for some reason you'll feel like God doesn't love you. And the verse for me that's been super critical is Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And, and so that's the demonstration and so you can feel like, oh, God, if you love me, why did you let me fail this test? If you love me, why did my relationship break up? If you love me, why are my parents the way they are? And, you know, God is like, hey, I, I love you. Let me show you how much I love you. And the demonstration of that love is what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so that's the, the verse I cling to on that. It's like, oh, that is such a key verse. We, we have to know that. We have to have that memorized. Uh, dry spells. You know, I've been following the Lord, so I'm 58, and I've been following the Lord at various levels, probably since I was five. Um, sure, there's going to be dry spells. There's going to be times when you're hurt by God, times when you read Scripture and it doesn't seem to land on you, it doesn't come alive, and I just, I just try to cling to it, you know, like, like food or like my life support line or something, and... And, my, you know, crying out to him and just having honest conversations like David does in Psalms. Just, you know, hey, God, you know, here's why I thought things would go this way. And, and here's how I got hurt. And I trusted you and it didn't work out. And, and just being real honest with him and giving him plenty of time. Because this is a long-term relationship. There are going to be some dry spells. And, um, and God's just, he's always met me in those. And he's faithful and he loves me and um, I guess maybe just one more thought on that it's just I would go through and you're having your quiet times some of your quiet times are going to be dry sometimes you're not going to get anything when you see those love verses underline them in your bible and memorize a whole bunch of them because you you need to hold to that and keep coming back to that man God loves me God loves me God loves me God loves me it's not the whole story but that's a really important part of the story that you got to get that's really good. I, I think uh, just a, kind of two thoughts to two, two of those questions. Um, a practical thing maybe for some of you to think about. So I've, I've struggled with depression throughout my life and a lot of anxiety. And there was, a, there was a season where I was going through a really deep depression. And this was some time ago. And um, first, let me just say this. Whoever asked the question... Of, you know, wondering about does God love me or how do I know that he loves me? Just know that probably most, if not all of us, have like experienced that at some point and there's, a, there's usually a reason why you're feeling that way. Like Steve pointed out, it could be there's something going on in your life, there's something that's happening where you feel like something's off, which must mean that God doesn't care about what's going on in my life or God doesn't love me in that way. And when I was in this deep depression, I remember feeling like, I felt that so profoundly, like I felt so distant from God and like God didn't want anything to do with me and all these types of things. And so sometimes, like Greg said, you know, you have to preach the gospel to yourself. And I, 
someone might say, well, why don't you just say, say the gospel to yourself? <laughs> it's not just because I'm a pastor and I preach. It's because you have to like forcefully tell yourself the truth. You really have to tell yourself what's true. And so what I did and what I would encourage you to do if you ever feel this way, you don't feel the love of God, is to get out a piece of paper, get out a pen or a pencil, and just sit down and ask yourself to just start writing out the good things in your life. And I was so depressed, I couldn't even think of, like, I just thought this is an impossible task. I don't even know what I could think of. So I just wrote down something that popped into my mind, which was, I'm glad that I'm breathing. Most of us don't think about that, but when, you're, when you feel really distant from everybody and God and the world, you, those things pop into your head. So it's just like, I'm thankful that I'm breathing. And then the next thing was, I have a wife that loves me. That was a hard one for me to get out because I didn't want to believe it. I have kids that love me. And first, I would say the first two to three minutes of that exercise felt like an eternity of me trying to come up with, with good things. And then by the time I was done, I had three or four pages worth of things. Now, I, I'm not saying it'll go exactly that way for you, and you might think, well, what does that have to do with the love of God? Well, every good and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father. And so the fact that you're all breathing right now, the fact that you have blood pumping through your veins, that you have another day to live on this earth, we don't know when our days are numbered. We don't know any of that stuff, and yet we're here. And there are so many hard things in our lives that try to strip us of the love of God, but the love of God is the one constant that we have as Christians. And all that good list just reminds us of that. So that's just one thing. And then I'll say the next thing real briefly when it comes to the prayer habits and things like that. I've struggled with prayer a lot too. Just, just another practical thing. The Psalms is your best friend when it comes to prayer. Um, if you have a hard time knowing what to pray, just pray the Psalms. Um, there's also lots of different books you can buy called Praying Scripture. There's one called Praying Scripture that teaches you how to pray through Scripture if you don't know what to pray. But probably the best thing is just when you finish reading, just take a moment right then and say, God, I don't know how to pray this. I don't know how to apply this. I don't know how to think about this, but you know what I need. And so even though this was a dry reading, whatever I read today didn't seem to connect with me, would you give me some sort of just anything that will help me this day from what I just read. Just help something to stick. And that might be all you pray. And you know what? That's not the grand, like, I just prayed something incredible, but it's a genuine one, and I think God will, will hear that. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I like that. I, the thing that came to my mind with the idea of, like, I don't feel close to God, as I remember Corey Tinboom said something like that. I mean, I'm not quoting exactly, but she said something like, you know, she was very witty. She said, if God feels far away, guess who moved? <laughs> right? And, and I think there's some truth in that. I don't think it's, you know, it's not 100%. I don't think she was like, hey, you're getting away from God necessarily, but probably a good place to start is that idea of like, okay, well, is there things in my life that are maybe disconnecting me from God? Right? And so we think of, am I reading the word? regularly and putting into practice? Am I praying? Uh, am I connected in spiritual fellowship with other believers in a discipleship way, right? Am I connected 
to, you know, am I connected to the Holy Spirit here, right? Am I in conversation with God and am I working through and am I, you know, trying to do that? Like, start in those places because sometimes people are like, man, God feels far away. It's like, when was the last time you were participating in church, <laughs> right? And so there's a good place to start with that. But then I think when we go beyond that, it's good to remember that our faith isn't really developed by all the great things that happen to us. It's kind of developed by the hard things that happen to us. And so if you have a dry season or challenges or obstacles or hurdles in that moment to realize like, oh, God is allowing this like testing and refining process in me with this hard stuff. And then if you're in a right state of mind, you can be like, oh, thank you, Lord, for refining me through this trial, right? Like I think about, I think of like some of you guys, like, man, like people who I know who have the greatest faith have had the greatest trials in their life. Um, and so I, I think we get into a bad place where we go, oh, I want to equate good things in my life with God loving me and bad things in my life with God. It's like, ah, no, no, no. I don't think so. We're getting closer to God through those trials. So we're just kind of keeping that perspective. That's good. I just agree with all that, but the I I do agree developing that honest conversational relationship with God is so incredible. Just to be able to be really honest with God. I think part of it depends on our view of God. If we view God as being I don't know, just not relational. Like if we come to him, what's is he gonna accept us? Is he gonna be tender? with the weaknesses we share or is he going to be really aggressive and demanding and over the course of my life I've come to appreciate how tender God is that I could share anything with him and it's not going to shock him it's not going to overwhelm him it's not going to freak him out it's not going to upset him he's going to receive me with that and I think God really appreciates our honesty and that's something I really appreciate from David and the Psalms just just being really honest with God. Um, a couple other things, just <clears throat> I think there's been a couple times in my life when, when reading the Bible was really difficult. And part of it was because I, I felt like the voice of God was just going to be judgmental to me. And so I kind of had that view going in, like, I'm going to read this. If I, when I read the Bible, it's just going to tell me how I'm wrong. Like, it's just a voice of telling me that I'm messed up. And it's pretty tough if that's our view of the scriptures. It's, it's pretty hard to, like, want to go to them. But to really see the, the word of God as a place that nourishes us, as a place that uh, feeds us and woos us and loves us and where we find that truth is, it's... And so I, I think being honest with God, God, I don't, I don't really trust that you have, you're going to say nice things to me. Just, I think that would be a good, a good starting place to me is being honest uh, another thing I've really appreciated going back to the prayer, um, George Mueller had a really beautiful relationship with God, and he, he he said just for years he developed this. Rather than starting with prayer, he would just jump right into the scripture reading, and as he's reading, he turned it into this interactive conversation with God. So he'd be reading something, and he'd just start confessing sin, and he'd read something like, oh, wow, and he, he would, he's basically talking to God about everything that he reads. 
And so it becomes alive and it's a platform for prayer rather than like separate from prayer. And I've dabbled in that. I wouldn't say I'm a, like George Mueller, but I think it's really cool. Like as you're reading the scriptures to like pray to God about what you're reading, like, wow, thanks for saying this. Or what are you talking about here? Or, oh, I could see that. In my, you know, like make it interactive because it is, God speaks to you through it. So that's just a couple thoughts. Yeah, that's great. I'll add one more quick thing to that. Um, just re- regarding prayer, Dove just just shared how you, you you can let the scriptures guide you in your prayers, and Paul Paul did that as well. The Psalms are given, so we have these example prayers to lead us into prayer. I don't think prayer comes real naturally to us. Um, Jesus' disciples asked him. He said, "How uh, teach us how to pray? We we don't quite know how to pray, and they needed to be led into that." Um, and so we do let the scriptures lead us into prayer, but I, I also think. Um, if you're struggling with prayer or just relationship with, with God in general, um, there are people around you, I bet, that you, you recognize a vibrancy in their relationship with God. You, you recognize a vibrancy in their prayer life. And I would just say, well, saddle up next to them and, and glean from them. Let, let them lead you into, into those, those meaningful prayers. And, and so, so look around. Um, when you see relationship with God that you, you, really, uh, you, you really value, um, I'd say spend time with that person. Okay, um, let's go to a uh, uh, next category. These are really um, asking about interactions with people that, that may not know God. So you all have relationships, maybe family members, people who are, are perhaps far from God. And so let me read a few examples. Um, is there a time to stop trying to share the gospel with someone if they won't listen? And if so, do you still pray for that person? How can I share about Jesus with friends without ruining the friendship? How can I share the gospel with my dad's family when they want, when they want nothing to do with God? I have a friend who consistently has bad relationships. How do I show her God? Okay, so, again, very real um, experiences there that we, we all are familiar with, where we, we interact with people, and we're just not quite sure how to initiate conversation or, or, or how to preserve relationship when, when we're trying to share truth with them and those types of things. So, again, I'll just ask any of you if you have, have thoughts on... Um, how, how do you love people and share the gospel with them when they may be far from him? Yeah. Um, think of another quote. I can't remember who it was by. It's like Martin Luther or something. And he said, preach the gospel always. And when necessary, use words. Right? So I think a lot of these questions are kind of in that vein of, oh, I'm trying to, like, verbally share the gospel with somebody and they seem really resistant it's like well then non-verbally share the gospel with them right like hardly anybody is going to be opposed to serving being served or being loved um i was even talking with like roger earlier he was talking about an interaction they'd had with somebody in in their community and oh i like offered to pray for somebody like if you have a relationship with somebody and you say well can i pray for that or what could i pray for that's, you know, in some ways you're sharing the gospel. You're sharing that hope that lies within you. So I think um, sometimes if the door is closed in a moment or in a season to 
sitting there and saying, well, I'd like to share the four spiritual laws with you or the, the, the diagram or whatever. If that's closed, you go, well, the, if the door is still open for relationship with the family members or the friends or whoever it is, then keep looking for those avenues of how can I demonstrate Christ? How can I demonstrate the love that God has shown me to this person and use that as a, and then just trust that, well, God has a time and a, he's got me on a faith journey and I'm trusting he's got this person or these people on their own faith journeys and just trust that he's going to use me some way in that if he wants to. And maybe it's going to be words and maybe it's not. It's, that'd be what I'd say. Yeah. yeah, I think just, I think sometimes when you think of sharing the gospel, we have different ideas of what that might mean. And I think a lot of times when we don't feel very confident or we don't feel very comfortable in sharing the gospel, like we tend to think of it as like, the gospel is sharing it exactly this way. So when do I have an opportunity with this family member or with this friend? When, so, like when you ask the question, it's like, um, you know, how do I share the gospel with family, with my parents or whatever who don't want to hear it or whatever else that is? I don't know exactly what you mean by that when you ask that. You could, cause you could be thinking, okay, I need 20 minutes to go through the cross diagram with them or I need to make sure I share this tract exactly the right way. And none of those tools are bad, but that's not in and of itself sharing the gospel. Like, we, you know, sharing the gospel can be as simple as if you're having a natural conversation with your parents or you're having a natural conversation with a friend or a family member who is opposed to the gospel. Probably they're not going to want to sit down with you and you say, okay, now I'm going to share stuff with you. You ready? Buckle up. It's more of just like ask questions about things they care about and what are, what's going on in their life. And that might be weird to ask parents that or to ask friends that. But there's a certain element where if you can have a natural conversation with somebody where you're just talking about life and then you simply say, you know, I felt the same way. And honestly, if it weren't for Jesus, I don't know what I would do with that. And they're like, well, I don't want to talk about that. Okay. You can, and the question of do you ever stop praying for the person? Never. I mean, you just, there's, no, there's no end date on prayer. I would say there's probably not an end date on sharing the gospel either. It's just if in your mind you're thinking, how many times do I share this pat, like these phrases over and over again? It really is simply trying to relate to people that we all have sin in our lives, that we're all far from God who made us and loves us. And if we can get people to recognize that there's sin, which, I mean, if you can even just talk, I mean, honestly, just real basic, you could start talking about what's going on in the world. What's going on in Israel and Palestine? What's going on, like the stuff that Greg shared with the fires? I mean, you could use any sort of opportunity like that to just talk about how broken the world is. It's not hard to see that. And then you just say, yeah, there's, thankfully there's an answer to that brokenness. And they might not want to talk about it or they might say, well, what do you mean? And then you give a little bit more. And so I don't, I don't think it needs to be as complicated as having this long, drawn-out presentation you're not selling Jesus to anybody. If Jesus is in your heart and you love him and you know that he loves you, 
Like, it's not hard to talk about your favorite movie. It's not hard to talk about your favorite show or your favorite book. Not everybody agrees with me that Lord of the Rings is great, but I can talk about it with a lot of enthusiasm, and I don't care if they disagree with me. <laughs> but do you see what I mean? If you have a lot of love for the Lord and the gospel in your heart, I think, I think that'll break through some of those barriers. And, and prayer is going to be really the, the only thing short of sharing that that's going to change a heart anyway. So. Yeah, just kind of to echo that, I think, especially with, with family, well, I guess there's two things, right? There's, there's that sense of urgency that the gospel needs to be shared and life is short, but then there's also this long haul, like, and I think especially with family, it's good to keep those relationships. So nurture those, foster those. When you have opportunities to show love, when you have opportunities to care for what somebody's feeling or what they're going through, be there. And even sometimes a good, that's a good opening is when somebody has a need or a, a strong feeling to invite prayer, kind of invite God into that time. But to really think about the, the long haul. And I appreciate whoever wrote these. You guys have the gospel in your heart. You're, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing. So I would say, like, you know, if you're going out cold turkey evangelism, you've got a short time with somebody, you want to share as much as you can in a short time. But then with a lot of, a lot of our relationships, like, it, it might be years before they warm up and, and try to keep it warm <laughs> so that it's open. And then be ready for those opportunities that God gives us. So I think there's two things. One is creating opportunities, and one is just taking the opportunities that we have. God does give us opportunities. And if he puts something on your heart, go ahead and share it. And if your friends don't like it, it's okay. Like, go for it. If it was on your heart, um, they'll respect you for it. And it's not like you have to force anything. But um, I, like, I know, I know that's a big thing. Like, how are my friends gonna, gonna receive this? Well, if they're really your friends, you can continue to have conversations. And it doesn't have to ruin your relationship. But shared in love and anyways, that's... Yeah, I would just add to that too, real quick, even though I just said something, is just Jesus did say that there would be like division because of what he what he shared. I mean, so the reality is is if you're following Jesus, there's gonna be people who don't want to have anything to do with you. And that I mean we see that in the Muslim world all the time. Where a Muslim comes to faith in Christ and their parents totally disown them. Uh, we see that in atheists' homes, too. Uh, I know people who've experienced that. So just understand, I'm not saying that that's wonderful when that happens or it feels good, um, but that is kind of a reality that if you are following Christ and if you are sharing Christ, Jesus said, don't be surprised when they hate you because they hate me. And so just be, be mindful of that, that when you feel that pain, which you will if you're following Jesus and people start to disown you or not want to have anything to do, just know that Jesus will meet you there too and that he is still holding out his arms to those people. Yeah, I think of uh, Jesus when he called the fishermen. Uh, he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so I might 
tweak it a little bit and, and change it from, you know, oh, I need to look for someone I can share the gospel with uh, to more of a, I want to go fishing. And, and that's kind of what I think everybody's been saying is, is you, you don't necessarily have to have the opportunity to share the diagram or to go through a track with somebody, but, but I'm, I'm just fishing. So I'm, my goal is more to get into a spiritual conversation in hopes that it turns into a gospel conversation. And, um, and I think you really want people to sense that you care about them and that you love them. And when they have that sense, that'll open some doors for more conversation. Um, I, I think the danger is that there'll be people we really care about that we, you know, we never quite get around to sharing it in a meaningful way. And I think sometimes it's just appropriate if you've been fishing and you're like, well, they're kind of interested, uh, just to be honest with them and just say, hey, you know, we're really important friends. I don't want to do anything to damage our friendship uh, or whatever. You're my aunt or whatever. Um, but at some point, I would love to just share with you this thing that I learned that really helps explain how we can be forgiven and, and how we can have a relationship with God. And I, I'm not you know, judging you for where you're at or anything. I just, I just think you would appreciate this. If you don't want to, hey, that's fine. I, I like to give people lots of room to get out. When they feel trapped, then they're like, you know, they're going to put up walls. Like, no, I don't want to hear that. I'd say, hey, if you want to hear this, it's great. Again, fishing. If you don't, hey, that's fine too. But I, I just wanted to get that off my chest. I would love to talk to you about this sometime if you'd be up for it. And just shoot straight with them what's going on in your head. Well, let me ask just a few more, and these are uh, more uh, maybe specific or personal situations or questions related to what I think are, are, are more personal situations. Um, and so I'm going to throw a question out, and how about we'll just have any one of you, anyone one who wants to grab it, you can take it. Not all four of you have to have to answer here, but but I think this is a... Um, Again, a personal one, and a, but a meaningful one, I think, that can, can help all of us. But it says, how can I learn to depend on God as my heavenly father when I don't have an earthly one? I, I, I don't know if there's an easy answer to that, but definitely our view of God can be very tied to our own fathers. And for me, when my parents were divorced and my dad was pretty much gone, I can sometimes have a view of God that he's not really available or not really close or what, what not necessarily close. And anyways, <laughs> so, but I, I would say that takes time. It takes time. And for some of you, this isn't written, but for some of you, you might have a negative view of your father for whatever reason. Maybe he was absent. Maybe he was really harsh or just not like God. And over the course of our life, we become, we are able to see God as our true father of who he really is. And so I would, I would say just a small step in that direction would be to, to have someone in your life who could be like a father figure to you. And I, I know people used to tease me of like, oh, you just latch on to people and like try to make them your dad because <laughs> you didn't have a dad growing up. And uh, maybe so, but I think that's healthy. I think it's healthy to have somebody who's a really good father figure. Maybe that's a pastor. Maybe that's an older friend. Maybe it's an uncle. I don't know. Somebody who you can trust 
um, and just just start to open your heart to what a father's love is like. And but ultimately, we can we can know the our true father even if we didn't even know our earthly fathers. But it is a process. It does. It takes time. And and I would say to really like allow yourself to trust. I think that's a big thing. Is like what what do you what's beneath that that makes it hard for you to trust? Trust. Have some conversations about that with God or with someone that's that's safe. But that'd be my yeah. That's good, and I, I, I do think you know there's a reason father wounds are so painful, and um, and why it feels like there's such a hole there when when there's an absence of a father. Because um, we're designed for that. We're designed to experience that relationship. But I think even those who are, are missing that father, even the, the, the whole says something. It's like you, you still know what a father's supposed to, be look, supposed to be like. That's why it hurts when you don't have that. And so you're, you still kind of have this picture that God's going to fill in. Um, so I, I don't think even necessarily having that earthly father... Um, is a requirement to understand what a true father is and what your heavenly father is. Okay, let me ask um, some others. And again, anybody can take these. These are, these, some of these are hard, but um, this is somewhat broad, but, but still an important one. Um, do you have any advice for people struggling with sexual sin? <laughs> yes. Um, I guess I'll try to answer this. Uh, I'm not sure what that is, what exactly they're thinking of, because sexual sin can be a lot of different things, um, but it all has the same root. Um, I think because we're physical creatures that God made. He designed us to, he designed our bodies physically to both desire and enjoy, you know, sexuality and those things. And so there's this aspect where, just like you were talking about, Aaron, with the father piece of it, like we're designed for that. There's all sorts of ways in which that gets totally um, twisted. And, you know, if it's, whether it's pornography use or whether it's sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or doing other sexual things you shouldn't be doing, um, even on your own, whatever it could be, uh, I think one is just knowing that God is better than those things, that... um, that whatever satisfaction you're trying to get or whatever you're trying to fill by doing those things, it's just not going to work. I think, I think in those moments when temptation comes, especially the temptation to give in to sexual desires is so strong. And a lot of that is your age too. Like gen- just genuinely, like from a biological perspective, your hormones are going through the roof right now. And so there's this element of like, 
what am I supposed to do with that? I feel all these strong things and I don't know how to, how to say no when I know that God's told me I should say no to these things. And that's why I'm saying, like, if, if the idea is God just told me I should say no to this thing, I don't think that's going to cut it. Sexual sin is, again, it's a desire. It's something that we want. It's that we want something to feel good. We think it's going to satisfy us. And in order to remove that temptation or fight that temptation, we have to replace that with something better. I hope that makes sense. But um, something that I shared years ago when, when our group of churches did a, a conference on, on pornography, it was a men's conference, um, something I shared was, you know, when you get to a point where temptation's knocking at the door and you have an opportunity to sin sexually, um, your mind is being overwhelmed with all these desires and you just feel all these things coming into you and you just want, like, you're like, okay, I just need to do something with this. And what you really have to do is run. Like, you have to get away from it. You have to absolutely get away from it. But to just say, I'm just going to run off somewhere, again, isn't enough. You have to run to something. So, like, if you're with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and something, things are about to happen, you just got to get out of there. I actually remember in high school, I was in a situation where God really saved me from, from this. And, and I wasn't even a Christian, but I think he just wanted to protect me from this even before I knew him. But I was getting into this situation with this girl, and it was like 3 a.m., and suddenly my mom called me. This was like the cell phones were just becoming a thing. And my mom calls me, and I was just like panicked. And that shocked my system, and I just ran out of the house as fast as I possibly could to get home. And that's kind of what we need. You kind of need something to like shock your system to say, this is bad I shouldn't be doing this. I need something better. I, I want to choose something better. And honestly, the better thing for me, because, you know, I've, I'm 42. I've struggled with these things various times in my life. One of the greatest things that's helped me and maybe would help you is this understanding that God's grace is so great and his love for me is so great that even if I sinned against him in this way, he would still forgive me on the other end of it. And realizing that he would love me even if I did something so terrible actually was the thing that helped me to fight this battle where I said, I don't even want to do it. Because if his love for me is that great that he would still forgive me after doing this, I don't want anything to do with it. And actually that was a huge practical help for me over the years. But it's, it's just a twisting that we don't need to accept. There's something better. It's great. Let me just ask a couple, couple more questions. Again, this is a difficult one, a personal one, I think. Um, and it's a, 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 again, a, it's a theological question, but it, it is very personal as well. It says, what happens to people who end their own lives? And do they go to heaven? Does anybody want to tackle that? I could. You have to go ahead. Sure. It's, well, what happens, like, how does anybody enter heaven? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved, right? So somebody who 
commits the sin of murder of himself, well, how will they get to heaven? They've confessed with their mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. And so I think that's what you do is you say, okay, well, that's a thing. And I think there can be this idea of, well, that's a really bad thing. And it is a really bad thing. And it is a really hard thing. And it leaves all kinds of devastation in its wake. And yet that's, that's not like an unforgivable sin. Like there is not an unforgivable sin, right? And so we have to understand like, oh, you know, like Paul was even just talking about, like I can sin and God has forgiven me. God's forgiveness is waiting for me on the other side of that. Even in that, that form of murder, God's forgiveness is waiting on the other side of that. That'd be, I don't know, Steve, maybe you yeah, want to do that. Let me add that too. Um, so one of the things I, I think in Catholicism, it is kind of a big, yeah, philosophically or theologically, it's, it's like an unforgivable sin. So that might be why you hear that sometimes. Um, but like Greg said, it wouldn't fit with our theology. Of you're saved by your faith in Jesus Christ, not by whether or not you took your life. So one of the difficulties in these questions is we don't know where you're coming from, right? So I, I think... Our natural assumption is you're just kind of curious about that or maybe you know somebody that took their own life, you're, you're weighing that out. Another option, though, would be is you're thinking about taking your life. And so you're wondering, like, okay, well, what would that look like? Um, and so I, I, just, I guess I just want to <laughs> plead with you, you know, if that's where you're at, um, by all means, you need to talk to somebody and you need to understand that your life matters, that God loves you, that God's created you with purpose, that he has a reason for you to be here. And um, you, you just, you got to be open. You got to talk to somebody about that if that's where you're at. I'm hoping that's not the case, but um, we go through hard things. We, we Probably the adults in the room, probably most of us have been suicidal at some point at some level. And that, that's part of the human struggle, too. And so don't even view that as, oh, that was so much shame. I could never talk to somebody about that. You talk to somebody, talk to an adult. They, they understand. Um, but, yeah, just if, it's, if that's something you're wrestling with, by all means, talk to somebody. Okay, I'm just going to ask one more, and I'll, I'll just get uh, maybe a quick answer from each one of you. There were several questions that had to do with um, seeking wisdom, like how can I grow in, in wisdom and, and just um, grow in, in my Christ-likeness? We answered that a little bit earlier in just uh, in efforts to get to, to know God better. But, but in, in building um, uh, just a life of, of wisdom, biblical wisdom, um, how, how do we go about that? And so I just wanted to ask each one of you, in a very practical way, is there a, a specific pattern in your life that has been very meaningful to you that you feel like has grown you in wisdom and grown you closer to God? You know, kind of oddly enough, I think becoming a pastor, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell, I'll tell, I'll, I'll, I, you don't have to become a pastor for this to happen. I'm just saying for me, this is what happened. Um, part of being a pastor is you spend a lot of time with people and you talk about very real things pretty much all the time. So like everything, every conversation you have has to do with important matters. 
and, and thinking about marriage or thinking about life or thinking about struggles or thinking about joys. Or what, it's, it's all very intentional and meaningful conversations. And I realized pretty quickly after I became a pastor that um, my smarts and intelligence was not going to cut it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Travis laughed. See, pastors get this, right? My, my cleverness was not going to cut it. And I just think, uh, is it in James? Uh, whoever desires wisdom, let him ask God. <laughs> And I just kind of got to a point where I'm having all these conversations with people that I really loved, and I didn't know how to help them because I realized the end of myself. And it was kind of like I have nothing really in and of myself that's going to be ultimately helpful. So, God, I need wisdom. And um, so I guess just a practical for all of you, so obviously not all of you are going to be pastors or step into that specific role. The point is this. I think just being involved in people's lives and having intentionality in your relationships and wanting to actually be like a good friend and asking good questions, you're going to, dis- you're going to discover really quick that you don't have all the answers and it's going to force you into this book. And then you're going to have more conversations and things that you've read in this book or start to actually matter to you. Like, we talk about them all the time, but when you have to actually put them into practice, suddenly it's like, oh, there's a lot of wisdom in here. <laughs> Unbelievable. Before, I just read it, and now I'm applying it, and it's doing good things? Oh, okay, well, I'm just going to stop being smart and just give, all, give everything I got to this. And that's been my practice. There's really over the last few years is just... The more time I spend with people, the more I realize I need wisdom, and so I just ask for it as much as I can. I don't know why. When I was a kid, I locked into that verse in James, the, if you lack wisdom, to ask for it. And that was probably the thing I prayed for the most as a kid your age and even before. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know that back then I really felt like God answered that, but over the years it's like, like hey, wow, I think God's really blessed me in in some of that, just understanding different situations. So by all means, be praying for wisdom, uh, pour into the word, really try to understand what God says on things. And then I think it's just how a companion of fools suffers harm and just you know, surround yourself with wise people and you'll learn a lot from them. So some thoughts. Yeah, I couldn't say much more than that. Just he who walks with the wise grows wise. And I think... Sometimes I hear people be like, well, I'm just going to be like the Lone Ranger Christian. You know, they may don't say it that way, but that's what they're like. And, and you just go, ah, you've detached yourself from wise people. <laughs> and so if you can walk with wise people, whether it's your pastors or, uh, you know, your peers or your parents or whatever, it's like walk with those people and listen to them. I, I think about, I've heard thousands and thousands of sermons and they're all great, but they, you know, what they've imparted in my life compared to walking with godly, wise people is—it's like there's no comparison. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah, I would just agree that people following God in the Bible are great places to get wisdom. I've really appreciated at the end of James. It says the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle open to reason, 
full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And I think just if you want to be wise, be humble. And it doesn't matter how, you, how good you were and knowledgeable. You still have a lot to, a lot to learn. So that, that, the times that I've been humble, it's helped me be wise enough to, to ask and think I know stuff. So humility is really important for wisdom. Cool. Um, I'll, I'll add one real quick. Um, and just, just simply a simple discipline of, of verse memorization Thing. Just getting getting the Bible into you, into your mind and your heart is huge. Actually, Steve helped me with that when I was like 19 years old. Um, he, he bribed me. Okay? So he bribed me to start me memorizing verses. And what he did is he, he spoke to our student group at the time, and he, he gave this message on verse memorization. And it was at the very end of the school year, like in May, and he said, if anybody memorizes this list of verses, and he added this list of 60 verses, by the end of the summer, I'm going to give you, I think it was 250 or $300 or something like that. And he said, here you go. And so there were several dozen of us in the student group, and we went off to, to memorize, I think. But there were, there were three of us that did it. I think, I think Mr. Carney back there was one of them and another guy. And, and I, and I uh, finished, finished those 60 verses and got my 80 or $100 or whatever I did at the end of the summer. Um, and so I got some money. But that practice actually, I think, changed my life dramatically because it persisted. And um, I began to just try to soak up Scripture as much as I can. And, and, and even beyond that, not just memorizing single verses, but even passages, like entire ideas, um, to get those into you. It just, it just changes your perspective. All right. Was one of those verses, you cannot serve both God and money? Was that the last one? <laughs> it might have been. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, I think we are going to wrap it up here. Um, we, are, we still have dinner. Um, so pizzas are, are on their way if they're not here yet. They're, they should be coming here around, around 5. And so we're just going to break for dinner, but we can hang out for, um, for the, the evening too. So the, the, we're going to kick you out at 7.30 tonight, okay? So, so you can get your pizza, and you can again play in the gym and hang out with each other. Um, but we'll kick you out at 7.30. We may ask, ask you, though, to help clean up as we're approaching that. As well, we've got church in the morning, obviously, so if we can have some of you just vacuuming and picking up things and taking the trash out, cleaning the bathrooms, that would be fantastic. Okay? So uh, again, let's, let's thank these guys for sharing with us. It was, it was all great. Cool, and also, thanks Travis and Brayton for running tech back there. That was a huge help, too. All right, a couple other things. There was a request from the the Greeley Church to get a picture. So to meet over here, and so everybody from Greeley get get a picture. And since they're doing that, I'm going to do the same thing for Fort Collins. Let's get a picture over here, everybody from Fort Collins. Right.